0: What's really difficult about cereal is you can't just, you know, run 10 or 20 pounds of the product and and see if it works. You have to run thousands, tens of thousands of pounds of product that may not even be viable product.
1: Hey, my name is Felix Tia. I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in-person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how to decide what to change and what to keep when you're innovating on an existing product, how this company was able to get into Sprouts, Whole Foods, and Wegmans so early in their business, and the most important changes they made to their website to make purchasing frictionless. Before our show, I wanted to let you know about Shopify Inbox. It's a brand new free sales channel you can set up right now in your admin. With Inbox, you can manage all the customer conversations from your store and social media in one place. Plus, chat anywhere, anytime, using the mobile app or on the web. Most importantly, Inbox can help you close sales since 70% of Shopify Inbox conversations are with customers making a purchasing decision. Use the power of chat to turn browsers into buyers. For more information, visit shopify.com chat. Today, I'm joined by Margaret Wishingrad from Three Wishes Cereal. Three Wishes Cereal is a high-protein, low-sugar, grain-free breakfast cereal that tastes like the cereals of your childhood, made with modern-day, clean ingredients, and was started in 2019 and based out of Westchester, New York, and is a seven-figure business. Welcome, Margaret.
0: Thanks for having me, Felix.
1: Yeah, so this all began because you are a mother, and you just weren't happy with the um, the choices, the serial choices for for your son. So tell us more about that that moment of realization that then led to to this this business idea.
0: Yeah, so now my now four year old, but when he was six months old, one of the things, and this could have been me as a parent, but you know, you you raise this new little human, and you start to consider every little thing you put in their bodies, um, and one of the things when it came time to pincer skills and start to develop his own self-feeding skills, a recommendation was cereal. And it was one of those like light bulb aha moments where I'm like, Oh my God, I haven't had cereal in the longest time. What does this category look like? Why am I not consuming it? Is there anything I could feed my kid? Um, and apparently I wasn't alone. Uh, it felt like a lot of people have departed the category because it was mainly the same sugary cereals I grew up knowing as a kid, which wasn't all that great. And so it really, um, helped us identify that great. This is a great opportunity to create a product for my family, for myself, for my kid and everyone in between. And we spoke to a ton of people to, to see, does that same problem happen in your family? And is this a solution you're looking for? And so that was kind of what started the idea in our minds of, hey, it's the right time to create a product like a healthy, clean cereal. Yeah.
1: And what's your background? Because I think a lot of people will encounter a problem and think about, okay, let me solve this. Let me look for a solution. And then maybe they can't find anything. Let me try to solve this for myself. And then if they they can, great. If they can't, they just kind of, you know, find a way around it. Um, But what led you to say, let me create a, a product, a business around this?
0: Yeah, I don't know if I had any business doing it, honestly. We come from the service side. So my husband and I have an ad agency here in New York called Big Eyed Wish. And we've had the amazing, amazing fortune of working with clients like AT&T, Pepsi, Nestle, Diageo. And then we've worked with some smaller clients that would come to us with an innovation. They had no name, no packaging um, and and just wonderful, brilliant innovation. And the biggest joy for us was the ability to help with that client to help create what that brand looked like, what that brand um, spoke like, what stores it would be and how it, you know, how it executed in stores. And that was a lot, a lot of fun. And we really enjoyed that brand building part of any brand. And so naturally when we had our own idea, made a million phone calls to figure out how do you make cereal? Once you make it, how do you get into stores? Um, So we really surrounded ourselves with wonderful mentors and we were able to learn from our clients as our mentors as well. To to figure out you know how we went about going from service to product,
1: yeah. And, and this 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 again this approach of not knowing the the complete path, not knowing all the answers, but you made a lot of phone calls. You kind of hunted down the, the answers. Talk to us about that. Like, what was the process of of wanting this business, wanting this product to exist, and then not having the the skill sets or expertise on on the product development? Like, what was involved in learning all of the the, the facets of creating a cereal.
0: Yeah, so it initially starts with, okay, let me first validate that I'm actually creating a solution for an actually existing problem. So once we got that out of the way and realized, okay, a lot of people departed because it's either not enough protein for a meal like breakfast, it's too much sugar for a meal like breakfast, or just downright, the ingredients that cereal is made of is really not great for you and super nutrient deficient. Once that was identified, we then thought about, okay, how do you go about creating a cereal? Unfortunately, cereal is not one of those things that you can throw on a KitchenAid attachment and crank out in your own kitchen. It is super, super technical, requires a lot of food science and knowledge. And so we started to call a ton of our other friends that are in the food industry that may have CPG, food CPG products out there. And we started to figure out, okay, how do we find a food scientist? How do we find a food scientist that then specializes in this type of product that then potentially specializes in products without, um, without grains? And how do we figure out how to recreate that same cereal experience that people know and love for such a long time? So it took a lot of, um, phone calls that led to phone calls. It was one of the 10 people know 10 people that know 10 people. And we were so lucky that the natural food world is such an open and warm environment where everyone just like willing to help because you're all going after a great similar mission, which is create clean, better for you food that we can all feed each other in the world. And so, um, really wonderful community. And, and we were able to eventually land on developing our product, which took two years.
1: Okay. It took, took two years. So there are lots of iterations through that, through the product. Yeah. Talk to us about, talk to us about that. Like, how do you iterate on a, a food product? What are you looking for? Like how, what kind of changes are important to, to make, what, what kind of changes did you find were important to make along the way?
0: Yeah. Something that was really important to me was, so the things we changed about the product was the nutritional portion of the actual panel and what the product's made of. The things we wanted to keep the same were the familiarity of the shape, the familiarity of the flavors, the the way that it was sold, right? Cereal box. And so um, it took a ton of iterations to really land on a grain-free product that had a grain-like experience, and so with that, what's really difficult about cereal is you can't just, you know, run 10 or 20 pounds of the product and, and see if it works. You have to run thousands, tens of thousands of pounds of product that may not even be viable product. Um, so it would really, you know, we would basically create the product, um, then take it back to our friends, family, family literally Ian would sit in a coffee shop sometimes and we'd talk about it and people would walk by and look at it and we'd be like, taste this. What do you think of this? And so we would, we would, anyone and everyone um, basically tried all of the versions we were creating before we launched. And so it was really helpful to get all of those little bits of feedback to understand what are the, the things that are missing, whether it's a taste or a crunch experience, and what are the, the levers we can pull on the production side to make those things are reality. And so, um, yeah, and that's what takes years. It's between the line time and ordering ingredients and and testing these things and getting the feedback and consolidating it. And so that it it really took so much longer than we'd hoped that it would take.
1: Yeah, and you know, one, one thing that I pick up on there was around how you are purposeful about keeping certain things familiar. You mentioned the shape, the packaging, and I think when people think about innovation, they are like, let's change everything, let's start from scratch, but you're very purposeful, again, about keeping parts, certain parts of this, this experience familiar and the same. Talk to us about that, like how you decide what to innovate on and what to change drastically and what you should keep familiar or the same.
0: Yeah, the one learning we have from uh, being in, in the brand side of the business is consumer education is a very expensive proposition. And so the more that you need to convince someone and tell someone, the more time it's gonna take, the more costly it's gonna be. And I think what we realized was the thing that people... Uh, started to not love about cereal it wasn't that it was in a box or its shape or its flavors. They loved all of those things. Those are the n- little nostalgic childlike things they enjoyed. The things they hated were, frankly, the ingredients or you know how you would feel after having so much sugar for breakfast or the fact that you didn't really have protein, so you were hungry again shortly after eating it. So. We've really just analyzed what are the behaviors that people started to dislike about the product. And those were the only ones we wanted to change. We wanted to keep that same whimsical, lovey, like warm Sunday morning cartoon experience um, for the product as you would expect cereal to be.
1: Yeah. And during this, this two year product development process, as you're talking to your customers, getting feedback or talking to beta testers, getting feedback, what did you learn about how to talk about your product? What did you learn about pieces of it that were important for the messaging, the marketing, the branding of it all?
0: Yeah. And by the way, that was the hardest part for us. We were our own worst enemy because we're so close to our own packaging and we developed that in-house as well. Um, And the one thing I always tell people is you have one message, right? Consumers don't have that much of an attention span nail one thing and, and communicate one thing as to why they should buy your product. And the thing that was really important to my product was there were three things. Um, and so we were, we were fortunate that once we landed on the name, it tied in really well with the fact that we had three claims and that there were three wishing grads then. Um, but to, to that extent, we really just would test it. We would mock up 10, 20 versions of the packaging with the language changing all over the place claims in different places, um, things in different colors, call outs, just, in a million different ways. And we would just test it. It would be whether it was friends and family. I mean, Ian and I would print out boxes and go to our local Whole Foods and put it on the shelf, step back, just look at it and see like why things didn't stood out or they didn't stand out. And I think when you do these, the wonderful thing about the internet is you're able to A-B test things, right? And so um, whether you place, you know, a mock-up of what you want the box to look like, and you you can either survey that and test that, um, or even in a real life situation, you you can put a render up that might be a little bit different and see if the conversion changes and and how that resonates with consumers. So there's a ways, there's a million ways to test it in both in real life and online um, and how Having that data for us was really important before we started to double down and get it into a ton more doors and a ton more eyeballs. The other thing Ian and I did that was really helpful was we, the, we started locally here at, uh, in a store in Westchester and we would sample the product on the weekends and it would sell really well. But the one thing that was really interesting, and this was the first iteration of our box People would ask us questions because the box would be on the demo table. And they would ask us questions like, oh, is it gluten-free? And I'm like, well, of course, the gluten-free stamp, the the certification's right there. It's so interesting that someone didn't see it. And that made us realize, okay, maybe it's not clear. Maybe we should clarify it on the box additionally. Um, So every time a consumer would ask a question, it made us think about, are we communicating this clear enough? And if not, how do we communicate it in a more clear manner? And so we just took all of those pieces of feedback, absorbed them as best as we could and, and our current packaging and, and strategy reflects it.
1: Yeah. And I, I think the, first of all, I think that's great approach of just getting people, getting this in front of people in person, right? You so- sound like you got lots of great feedback and just, Uh, almost conversations that just wouldn't appear any other ways than to to just sample it in person. Now, I I think it could get overwhelming, too, where it's like a fire hose of feedback. What was your... your You kind of alluded to this that you you tried to kind of, um, uh, I guess, uh, distill the information that you're getting into into something more tangible or looking for certain patterns. What was your approach, though, to, to getting this kind of feedback and figuring out what was the most important points that, for example, that you wanted to be a part of Three Wishes, the three things, the three bullet points, points that you want to get across?
0: Well, those were the, the three bullet points that we wanted to get across were the three key things of why we developed the product and the ingredients we did. So those held pretty true. Um, initially, the thing we did change was where it now says gluten-free, that claim said grain-free. So it was duplicative to have grain-free both in the black bar on the box and or in the colored bar and um, under the third claim. And we've realized by by just hearing people ask that question, we realized it's important to have grain-free, um, gluten-free. Rather, sorry, cr- replace that initial portion where grain-free stood, but the principle stayed the same. The thing, the things we changed was. maybe the font was closer together and how did that look? Or we capitalized something or it was really more aesthetic. Um, We were pretty lucky that our claims resonated with the consumers once we tested it in person. But we did a lot of testing in-house internally before with what three claims stood out. How did we stylize them then? Um, And so it was just the research of what led to the product led to those claims. And then the optimization led from the consumers.
1: Got it. And again, you you learn a lot about this from these in person samplings, and you're able to talk directly to customers. And I think this is an important step that a lot of people can take, especially early on. How do you even? How did you get in front? How did you get into this store? Like, what was the process of just getting letting or or getting a store to give you a chance to get in front of their customers?
0: Where we were very lucky was we went into an aisle. Granted, it's a very oversaturated aisle. It's one of the largest aisles in a supermarket with the most SKUs, the most colors. It is definitely a very interesting category. However, it hasn't had true innovation in the longest time. And I think that's where we stood out um, bringing a product that was grain-free. And grain-free is a big thing, um, especially for certain diets. And and it's a growing trend. But on top of being grain-free, our taste with our ingredients was something that really impressed buyers. So we were very lucky that any time we would present the product, it was really, it had great reception. So that was one thing. And then it was the same way we did those phone calls. It was okay. Let's identify who buys for, you know, center store grocery and whatever retailers we thought were the right strategy for our product. Um, like a whole foods, a sprouts, a Wegmans. And we would do our research. It's, you know, find them on LinkedIn. Who's the buyer. Okay. Who do we know in common? How do I get there? Can my distributor get me there? Can a friend get me there? Can a founder? Um, and we just kind of found our way that way. It's the, It's all it all works the same way. You have to ask these questions. Um, And I think there's a lot of discomfort. And part of being an entrepreneur is breaking through and and acknowledging that, okay, you're gonna have a ton of either no's or tough questions um, and a lot of uncomfortable moments, but you have to get past that and just be super open and realize that whether it's critique or um, you know, asking questions, it's all just so important and really can change your business and, and your journey.
1: Yeah. And when you are, when you do get this opportunity to get in front of potential customers or your demographic and you're able to get this kind of um, opportunity again to get this market feedback, walk us through what your intention is on, especially in the early days. Is it to try to sell the product? Is it to try to get specific um, feedback or get specific questions to answer? Like what was important for you, uh, especially, especially early on when you do get the chance to be in front of your potential customers?
0: Yeah, it it was all of those things, right? It was But, you know, in the early days, you would hear certain feedback on the product. Oh, you know, it's a little crunchy. Um, And that made us work really hard on softening it over time. Like if you try our product from launch to today, um, I know it drastically improved because I've watched the tweaks and changes over time. And we started with a terrific product and we're really proud of how far it's gotten. But that's by way of just listening to that feedback, whether it's reviews online or it's your consumers or it's your buyers or anybody in between that feedback is so monumental. And, and, you know, I have other friends in other spaces and other businesses, um, someone that was selling blow dryers and the biggest. The driver in their success was making sure that they were reading every Amazon review, like, oh, you know, I wish the cord was five feet longer. Um, and the next iteration had, you know, an additional five feet of cord. And that was a game changing portion to their product because they stood out amongst the remaining blow dries because they had the extra five feet of cord. Um, so just listening to the consumer has been really a great driver in, in where you should set your strategy and your product. Yeah, it's been
1: helpful. Yeah, you know when I when I looked at the, the website for the first time I was like wow this is a really like well put put together brand and the colors and everything it just it just really stands out to me and then I, I realized why after you to told, told me about your experience in the in the agency world now for someone out there that is trying to work towards this this more maybe concise or trying to really understand like what is their brand identity and you know they, they could hire you know obviously an agency like yours but where, where where should they begin like where should they begin if they just don't have really good, good grasp of what they want their uh, that how they want their brand, how they want their product or company to be perceived?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So the one thing that's always been super important is identifying who are you selling to? Why are they buying from you? What are the things that they like? Why is this resonating with them? And so for us, it was, okay, we know children are still a large consumer of cereal as a category, obviously adults as well. Cereal is one of those things that anyone from six months to a hundred years old can consume. And so As much as, yes, it's everyone with a mouth. The thing that stood out to me was I am my own consumer. I created this product for my family. There are a ton of me's out there in the world. And so sticking out to the millennial family was something that was really important. So that's why we would test the product and put it on shelves at Whole Foods and stores that we could see these types of consumers shopping in. And we wanted to make sure it was in line with the remaining brands that they choose to love. So, you know, our vision board had all these other brands that have been really successful in the natural food space and that have resonated with that consumer. So we started to think about okay, what's the communication that resonates with them? What are the colors that they gravitate towards? Um, what's the energy and the communication? And, you know, when we thought about our packaging, the things I wanted to nail was, it had to be the cross section of telling you it's innovative, telling you it's healthy, telling you it's something new, telling you um, you know the colors were friendly, inviting, and, and on the healthier side, and maybe didn't feel so junky because you wanted to communicate that you were definitely healthy. So there were a ton of these little nuances that we thought about, but what we thought about was who's our target consumer and what is going to resonate with them, and just studying the brands that they love. Um, you know, whether it's cookware that they love or shoes that they may wear or whatever these other brands are that are in the same landscape and identifying that um, was a really great, like really great point for us to start at, to then dial into what is our brand going to look, sa- look like, sound like, um, you know, what does the website communicate like? What are the really important key points to point out on the website? What do they see first? What's the shopping um, and path to purchase look like for this type of consumer and just really studying them was super important.
1: Yeah. So I think that the big lesson is that, that the market, the existing products out there that are, that your demographic is already consuming, uh, they've done a lot of research for you already to get your influence from there. But then the think important thing that you point out is that you looked outside of your industry. It's not just what kind of cereal, what kind of breakfast foods that they, they like consuming. You're talking about like cookware and just basically all these other things that are not necessarily related to your, to your industry.
0: Absolutely. And it it they, all these little tidbits help, right? Because these companies have all, well, either they nailed it on the first try, which kudos if they did, but more than likely, and we've seen this with ourselves, everyone's optimized over time. Um, So I might as well as learn from their optimizations and, and you'll find something applicable, whether it's nail polish or shoes or whatever it is in between, the consumer tends to lean towards patterns of some sort. And so applying those patterns in our own brand has been, the thing that we've really found to be helpful and accelerate um, some of our growth.
1: Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Yeah, definitely. Now you had mentioned that, um, that that there were certain retail retailers that you wanted to get in. You said Sprouts, Whole Foods, uh, Wegmans, and you're in all of them, and it, it, that contributed. I think you mentioned a lot to the, the growth of, of the business. And this is these are you know huge wins for a lot of companies. Talk to us about that process. Like how were you able to get into these kind of national re- getting these kind of national retail accounts? Um, you know, so you know early in your business.
0: Yeah. So I think they obviously saw the amount of consideration. So we had a great launch to start with, but they saw the amount of consideration that we put in every touch point of this brand, most importantly, leading with product. Um, They were all very happy with the experience of the product, how it tasted, and then um, obviously no, they know their consumers better than anyone because they spend all of their time studying those people. Um, so they would, they knew that the product would resonate really well. The price point of the product was going to work well in their supermarkets. Um, and then the packaging was really attractive and stood out and popped on their shelves. So for them, they, they love to take bets and small brands. And something that's really important is our story is a big part of it. So Ian and myself being in those meetings um, and, and having the opportunity to just talk them through why we've created this. Uh, what kind of plans we have, what kind of marketing efforts we'll put behind the brand. Um, And everyone loves that energy and wants to be a part of that journey. And and the other thing that's really important is always including your buyer. Your buyer is not your enemy. Your buyer is a partner in trade and having someone that, is going to handhold you in the process and and you leaning on them as well is such a valuable thing. So we've always let them feel like they're a part of the process. We'd love to take their feedback and then they feel like they're building the brand with you and they'll take that leap of faith and, and, you know, really root for you. So that's been great. And so it's been, we identified what the right places for us to be were at first. And that's why we're in them, right? It's not like we went to stores that we had no business being in Um, at this stage of the company, we identified the right fit for the right stage of the brand.
1: Yeah. And, and you have, uh, you have, um, plans to, to grow even bigger and even faster and getting into more and more stores. Talk to us about that. Like what is, what are some of the challenges with this kind of rapid expansion into, into more retail locations?
0: Yeah. So it's really intentional. So it's not, it's, it's rapid in, in some sense, but it's really also for whatever the stage of the brand is. Right. So we know it didn't, it At early, early days, didn't make sense for us to be in conventional mass retail because that consumer wouldn't know who we are. They may, you know, we we didn't work on targeting that consumer. I think eventually we start to trickle down and fall into that bucket of those consumers knowing us at some point. But we really chose to focus on the natural channel, the sprouts, the whole foods. Um, And that was really helpful because you're building a really strong community. And we call it your, it's your, it's your, it's your tribe, right? Your people that follow the brand and they'll buy it at whatever stores you're in. And then they've really become lovers and advocates for the brand. And that is really important. So for us, aside from, expansion or how rapid that is it's really making sure that wherever we are now that we're growing really well and growing deep and, and really getting a good footing there before we expand beyond that. so um, that's something we've been really focusing on.
1: yeah in another direction that you're expanding is, is online. you mentioned to us that Amazon thrive fresh direct are or directions that that you went into. What, how is the experience different when you are expanding to to retailers that are you know predominantly online compared to to more of the, the kind of brick and mortar
0: places? Yeah. So this year has been really, really unique or not this year. The last year and a half has been such a unique year where discovery was in brick and mortar for a long time. And I think seeing consumers sit at home and starting to get more comfortable to ordering grocery online, it's been a really fascinating year. And so we want to be where our core consumer is. And so if that family is shopping Thrive or Fresh Direct or on Amazon, like millions and billions of families out there like myself, we want to be there. And so we've really made sure to focus on be where your consumer is. Um, and they've been wonderful channels for us because we, we were at the right place at the right time and, and had the right product offering. And so um, I think that's why we've succeeded in those channels.
1: Yeah. And, and, or is a process different when you are looking to expand in, in, the, in those channels in terms of like what they, they care about or what, what performs well online versus offline?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think everything has its slight nuances, right? There's a different cost to doing a business online. Shipping costs are very different handling those types of products versus selling a product to a distributor than having it live in in retail. So it's definitely different going direct versus going wholesale. Um, and I think they ha- each have their nuances, but you figure those out. Um, it's, I think the same. Like I you know, I had no idea what a distributor, I, I mean, I guess I had an idea of what a distributor was, but I had no idea of the, all the little nuances of having those distributor relationships and what that looked like and what it was like to be a product that was sold in retail. Um, but those are just things you learn along the way. And, and for us, it was really important to be online and to be available to our consumers for them to discover us there because they weren't going to grocery because they're you know, in, in a lockdown. So it's really just about being accessible and, and making sure that you're staying relevant.
1: Yeah, and I think you also mentioned around things like grocery delivery, like Instacart. How much of that is in your control versus something that the the, the retail accounts are handling?
0: Yeah, Instacart's a really fascinating one. It's definitely a platform um, that's still super early and the quarantine obviously um, just fast-tracked Instacart as, as a company in my mind. And so their advertising platform is still relatively young, but what's interesting there is it gave us the opportunity of, okay, no one's walking the aisles to discover things. What are ways that you can fall in the top you know, X percentage of a search and how do we optimize there? So we definitely um, have taken some, some time and focused on, on doing well on Instacart and, in, in turn, your, your retailers are really happy because you're helping the product move. And so when consumers are ready to come back to stores, they're still familiar with your product from buying it um, via Instacart that they're then continuing to repeat and buy it off store shelves. So it really makes everyone super happy. We're, we're happy because the brand's doing well and it's selling and the, re, the, the return on your spend via Instacart has been pretty good. Um, and then your retailer's happy because your product's doing well in their stores
1: yeah I, you know the Instacart I've only been familiar with it as a consumer of someone that's doing shopping out there my experience has always been like okay what what particular markets or what particular grocery stores do I want to buy from and start there and start my search kind of walking you know quote unquote walking through the aisles that way now the way that you're describing it sounds like you have some kind of influence over that experience for, for a consumer can you say more about that like if you are a a, a brand that is selling your products through their Instacart what is how much influence do you have over how your your products are positioned or, or represented.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, you're, it's buying ads, right? It's the same thing that you're doing on Amazon when you're doing PPC campaigns or you're doing search and redirecting it to Shopify. You're able to become a sponsored product or you're able to incentivize with some kind of discount and have the consumer try, like create that trial and, and acquire the consumer that way. And so um, Instacart is really placed in all of these interesting ways that you start to populate in the search portion of mm. their, their website or in the discovery tools in a way that you may not have fallen into it before. And then the other thing is every time you do those promotions with the retailer, it's then reflected on the platform as well. So some people, you know, when they're deal searching, they're like, Oh, interesting. I'll try this for the first time. And then they fall in love with the product and they continue to purchase it as a repeat consumer, not on discount. So, um, ton of different ways, but Instacart's been a really uh, fascinating one because it's still, so, still so early in, in the platform, um, on the ad buying side. So it's been great.
1: Yeah. And the more we talk about this, the more I realize like you really do have a omni-channel approach to, to distributing and also getting the word out about, about your products. So I want to talk a little bit about this, where, how did you decide where to kind of like deploy first, like whether you're focused on a specific store, offline first, a specific store, then going on, like, how do you decide what is that, that next step in terms of where, what areas you should step into next?
0: Yeah. So I think our expertise in advertising has allowed us to have a little bit of knowledge of what the D 2 C landscape is like and how expensive it is to acquire a consumer and educate them and get them to go from whatever social platform um, or, or media over to your own website to then convert. So I think that we understood that there, there's an aspect of just education that that took. And for us, we were really fascinated for cereal. It's such a grocery item for us, or at least our experience as consumers. And so we really wanted to make sure we took advantage of being really early to shelf with a grain-free product and a, a truly cleaner and better free product. So we decided to kind of double down on retail first. I think when we realized what was going on, obviously with the pandemic, we very quickly pivoted. We actually relaunched our website within... Probably six weeks, um, and to have a really user friendly shopping experience, knowing that people were sitting at home and not necessarily um, going out to groceries. So we've really focused on wherever we knew our consumer was at that exact time. Um, and the other thing we've really done, and this has been super helpful, on you know whether it is on our own website or Amazon or in stores, we've really focused on creating newsworthy and exciting moments that um, include the brand that really creates a great top of funnel effect that then results in, in um, an influx of sales, whether it's on Shopify or any other um, location we may be sold. So that's also been a really great thing with great return for us.
1: Can you say more about that? I think that that's important about how you're creating the, you mentioned newsworthy and exciting moments that include the brand. Talk to us about some examples of, of things that you guys have done.
0: Yeah. So we did, we did We actually did one really recently. Um, so a couple that were really fun and relevant within the pandemic and then kind of to get into more recent news. So, During the peak of the pandemic, no one was leaving their houses. No one was doing in-store food demos. It was really like a really chaotic news cycle. And anytime there was a really sweet, like lovey, great story, the news loved to share it. And we thought, okay, this is really interesting. Um, But more than that, like let's just think about our local community. We happen to have a U-shaped driveway here in Westchester and COVID drive through testing was really something that was happening at that time. And Ian, my husband was like, what if we use our U-shaped driveway and just like really mask up, glove up and um, single pack samples of our cereal, because we used to demo and we're, we're not able to dem- to allow people to sample it anymore. What, what if we just like host a drive through in our, our driveway and see what result we get out of that. And so, people were just so excited to get out of their house, drive Mm. through, try something new, say hi to somebody. And it was wonderful And we were able to capture that and all of the excitement it created locally. Um, And then that went on to getting onto national TV. Um, And from that, we had our biggest sales day in company history. And so just by being able to come into a news cycle that was so weird and come in with something that was so nice and sweet, which is something that created a, a really wonderful effect on the brand, Another really fun one we did because we again couldn't sample. We were launching our cocoa, and we figured, okay, how do we communicate to people that our cocoa flavor is really delicious and so special? And with that, we were we were like, okay, let's find people that, in a whimsical way, that are um, experts on chocolate. And so we were thinking about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And basically, Ian hunted down all the living cast members of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. We found them, we called them, we like emailed them any way that we can get to them. We finally got to them, got on the phone with them and said, Hey, if I send you my chocolate cereal and you actually love it, will you record a video for me endorsing it? And they said, okay, fine. Sure. And so we had Peter um, Van Ostrom who played Charlie. Then we had um, Paris who played Mike TV. And then we had Julie who played um, Veruca Salt. And so We sent it to them. They loved it. They sent us the sweetest clip. We compile that and then we share that and that got picked up. And then most recently, a really fun one that we did was the NCAA now allows college athletes to earn based on their name, image, and likeness. And so Ian went to Syracuse, and um, once he found that out, he was really he's really involved with the school um, and loves to just be a part of it, and, and obviously loved watching the sports when he was a student. And so he reached out to the Beheim family, and so Coach Jim Beheim is one of the most famous NCAA coaches of all time. His son, coincidentally, is also a player this year. And so we're like, okay, can we get? Buddy Boeheim to do a commercial um, and and be the first commercial that does a NCAA athlete and a brand. And can we get it out immediately? So within two weeks of them basically allowing the regulation to go out, we were the first commercial that launched. And so that obviously had press pickup that then resulted in um, an influx in sales, both in, in retail and online. So figuring out these like really cute twists on things that are either in the zeitgeist or that can affect kind of the news cycle or are really great ways to just create fun little top of the- funnel gorilla like marketing efforts
1: yeah and, and when you talk about all this in retrospect it all makes a lot of sense and obviously sounds super fun is this something that just is just like a, a shower thought that pops into your head and you have these ideas or do you have some kind of dedicated session or process to come up with these kind of newsworthy current uh, marketing ideas
0: yeah well it's it's actually it's a funny question so we we Ian and I, we like love to just spitball the stuff all the time. We're literally sitting next to each other for hours on hours a day. Um, So sometimes we just like run through thoughts back and forth. So it's really fun to have a creative partner that way. Um, But also the thing we try to do with our team internally is we do an hour call every week where we all just talk about like what's going on in our lives because we're all remote. So it's, it's really actually brought us together to be like, okay, what's going on in the news? What are ways that we can weave three wishes into culture or, you know, any other way into the world? And how do we continue to keep this brand top of mind for people? Um, and that's been, that's been really interesting. And it, it really make, it's a lot of fun. People love to be able to, you know, whether they're doing supply chain and come up with a great idea or um, any other parts of the business, it's fun to just feel like you're a part of a growing brand.
1: Yeah. And just to kind of give people some context here, have there been like misses where you're like, oh, this would be an awesome idea. And it just turns out to you know be a dud or have they been all pretty successful?
0: Um, yeah. I mean, it's so funny. I don't even think about the duds anymore. In the moment, you're like, oh, that was a flop. And then it's so you have to, and this is the only way you're going to be able to succeed. And I think I compare it to, oh, every time I talk to you about this, we compare it to things like golf, right? If you get into your own head, the remaining portion of your, of your game is just going to flop because you're like you're over it. You, you allow that one bad hole to turn into just like you not performing as well. So having the ability to kind of forget about those things and just brush them to the back um, and continue just thinking about all the wins and moving forward that way is the only way that you're going to make it through this rollercoaster of a journey. So you forget about the duds, but yeah, every day there's a fire drill every single day. This truck didn't show up. This isn't where it should be. This is costing more than it should, but you just have to figure it out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know one one thing you had mentioned too was was about how quickly you had to relaunch the website. You said it was six weeks or something like that to turn it all around. Well, what changes did you make during that process? I think that a lot of people are always thinking about how can I improve that experience for my my customers. And you mentioned you had mentioned that the the one of the uh, one of the main goals of that relaunch was to make it maybe less uh, less friction for a consumer to buy your product. Talk to us about the changes that that you as a team wanted to make.
0: Yeah, that was actually that was exactly it. So. When we launched the website at the same time that the brand launched, for us, the focus was like, how do we just bring in some story about Ian and Margaret? Maybe that should be front and center. And then I think having a couple months of just like, okay, maybe that's not like thinking one, looking at other websites. And seeing how are they creating the shopping experience and and getting you to convert, taking all those learnings, kind of combining that and then thinking about, okay, what are we doing and maybe what's not working um, really allowed us to plan out a really great solid wireframe of like, okay, the first page should have, we should have a shop button above the fold. We should make sure it's the easiest from you type our website because you, ha, if you typed in our website, your intentions are to potentially purchase and you're highly likely to convert. So we should make it really easy for you to shop immediately. Um, so homepage will always allow you to shop above the fold. Um, and then what are these like interesting, cute, either pieces of content, whether it's, educational or imagery or, um, copy, just any way that we can make someone have some take takeaway about the brand, like whether it makes them feel warm and fuzzy or they think it's funny or whatever it is. Um, and so continuing to do that has been the really focusing on what does the consumer want to see? How do we want to make them feel? And, and just implementing all that.
1: Mm. And are there specific apps that you use these days to help the, or keep the business running?
0: Yeah, um, there are so many plugins, but the one that I've actually recently liked um, has been Route. And so when I got a cold email about the the plugin, I was like, oh, yeah, this sounds whatever, who cares? But it's been fascinating. The consumer chooses. And what I learned was there were actually more consumers than I realized that wanted to use route and protect their packages than I would have guessed. I mean, it's great because they're paying, they're protecting their package. There's no skin off my back. So if anything happens, it's immediately replaced, covered by route insurance. And so that one's actually been really fascinating and and I'm glad we have it.
1: How did you know that that was something that consumers would want? You you mentioned that you weren't weren't interested at, at first. It wasn't until you added it that you saw that a lot of customers of yours wanted it. How did you, what made you like give it a shot?
0: It was so easy to do. It was truly really like you just plug it in. And if someone wants to use it, they use it. If they don't, they don't. There's no skin off my back to have it. So I figured, all right, let's give it a shot and see what happens. Um, it's fun to test these things and, and see how they net out. And to see that so many people were opting in and chose to, p- to protect their packages was fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah that, that's definitely always a fun moments where you realize, wow, there's a whole uh, part of a customer that you're just learning about for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing you had mentioned to to us as well was about how important it is, you know, along these lines around how it's important for you guys to to be able to invest in your reputation and the and trust from from your customers, and that in order to become a household uh, brand, a, a known brand, it's it's got to come from this area of trust. Talk to us about talk to us about that. Like, what are some ways that you have been investing in building the reputation or building the trust with uh, consumers?
0: Yeah, I think a key thing for us has always been ingredients and making sure that if you turn on the side of our box, our box ingredients are massive font. They're listed out vertically. You can just read them. And there's so few of them that I think that transparency with consumers has been wonderful. And we're always happy to talk about the ingredients. We get DMs, you know, why do you choose to use this ingredient versus that ingredient? So that openness and and, um, transparency of why we chose the things we chose is really, I think what customers love. And then most importantly, we're real humans. We're a family that built this brand, not some like mega conglomerate corporation. I created a product that I was very excited to share with other parents, other grandparents, with adults. And, and knowing that there's a family behind this because it's such a human element um, and it creates an innate trust.
1: Awesome. So threewitchescereal.com is the website. And I'll leave this last question. What has been the biggest lesson that that you or the team has learned over the last year that has had an impact on the direction that you want to take the business moving forward?
0: I don't know if there's one massive lesson. I think it was hundreds of many lessons. Mm -hmm. Um, And overall, I think the most important thing is being open to just listening to criticism. And even if you don't agree with it and you choose not to implement whatever that piece of advice was, Taking in those hundreds of bits and figuring out how to optimize has been uh, really wonderful. So being nimble is super key. And I think what allows us to to really stay afloat.
1: Awesome! Thank you so much, Margaret, for your time. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.